When you dare to take a breath Don't care about no medals on your chest Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up Welcome to Straight Outta Combat Radio Audio medicine from Green Zone Hero Proudly American Unapologetically patriotic And politically incorrect We are the voice The platform for transitioning veterans Honoring their stories and wisdom Save us all Before they burn it down Welcome to Straight Out of Combat. I'm John Krotek, Army veteran. And I'm Chris Hager, Gold Star Father. Our guest today is a special guest. He's my co-host, uh, Gold Star Father, Chris Hager. It, it is an honor, really, to be a part on this side of the interview with Straight Out of Combat. People look at me sometimes and ask and treat me with differential respect, and I look back and say, I'm just a dad. And that's the truth, John. I'm just a dad. Well, you know, there's some uh, that could be debated just a dad. Fathers are extremely important, um, obviously, um, to any child growing up. We all have a dad somewhere. You know, it, it, this subject today, I'm kind of, you know, we're organic here. Everything we, we do here is straight from the heart. Um, and I think this show is extremely special because, you know, the concept of our talk show is to talk to combat veterans. I think Chris is a veteran of a different sort. And, you know, before we delve into your son and uh, his upbringing and background, I think it's really important to just let people know what is a gold star. There seems to be so much confusion. And what really bugs me a lot is when I'm at a function, especially with a gold star mother or father, and they're introduced as a gold star mother or father, and Somebody wants to come up and give them a high five and go, hey, great job. boy, Gold star. Yeah. Well, you know, one for the team. And I always see this mystified, sad look of grief on the face of the parent. You know, so. It does happen. And it happens more like More than it should happen. And, and tell us about Gold Star. Well, essentially in World War One, there were so many American soldiers who were sent to Europe to fight. And the government thought it would be worthwhile to designate somehow visually those homes who had someone, and frankly, mostly men at that time. There, obviously, there were some women. But they put a blue, a, a, a red border, white field, and a blue star in the window. That meant you had someone in Europe fighting in World War One, And then they said, what do we do when they come back under the flag in a coffin? They said, you turn the blue scar gold. And that's the origination of the blue, of the gold star. There is also a silver star. I don't need to go into that. But today's terminology in today's world principally means that if you've lost a loved one in combat-related activities, that is either training or actual combat, but related to an active conflict, and that individual loses its life, the immediate family members are granted a gold star. Mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives. 
So I'm a Gold Star Father. February 22nd, 2007, my son Josh Hager, Army Sergeant, Staff Sergeant in Iraq, was killed when an explosive device blew up the Humvee he was riding in. He lost an arm and a leg. Well, so you, you're a Gold Star, obviously, and how many other Gold Stars are there from that conflict, the conflicts that we've been in in Iraq, Afghanistan? Current number is 6,800-something from 9-11, and that's the desert storm and simple and associated activities. Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, there are certainly other areas of combat that have taken place, but since 9-11, that's the counting date for that version of our conflict, a little less than 7,000. There are 358 in Florida. And there, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, freedom does not come for free. I mean, that's the highest, the highest price that you can pay. Uh, you know, it's one designation that I'm sure I'll, that I'll never be able to experience, but to be here with you, I got to say, I'm quite humbled and uh, saddened by the fact that Josh is not here with us. But in reality, he is. But let me and, give, let me add to the story and kind of jump forward and backwards because it, I think it adds better context as I've gone through this. We lost him 2007, so it's been 10 years. It'll This coming February, it'll be 11 years. I've been asked, does it ever get better? And the answer is, no, it never gets better. It gets different. And some things make big differences and some things make little differences. But time has not diminished nor has it mitigated the grief, nor the relationship with those who served with him. And I'll tell this story. It happened to be the weekend of the election. It's not election-related. It just happened to be that weekend. On a Saturday evening, my phone rang, and I answered it, didn't know the number, and the young man said, Hello, Mr. Hager. I'm Sergeant Moore. The first time we met, I was drunk. I couldn't speak with you. It's taken this long, but I wanted to tell you that I'm the soldier that put your son's body in the body bag and how much I loved and respected him. Out of the blue, nine and a half, almost ten years after the fact, he's finally getting to where in his world he can call me. I was honored, incredible soldier. We chatted. It then made sense to me. I had come in contact with another parent, another family member, a friend of mine, whose son had served with my son and had committed suicide in 2008. I discovered that on the internet, actually, and I saw a copy of his suicide note. And what his suicide note said was he couldn't live with having seen my son die. I kind of understood it, but I didn't until I talked with Sergeant Moore because that young man at 19 years old had helped him put my son's body in the body bag. And you think of a of a, someone that you love dearly and respect, and he's missing an arm and a leg, and you're 19 years old. No wonder he struggled with what he could see in his mind eye. That's real to me nine years later. The next night, not knowing anything about either one, I mean, unconnected in a way, I got another phone call from Thailand. And a young man says, Mr. Hager, it's taken me this long to call you. I just wanted you to know I was who was driving the Humvee, and I know that it was my fault that your son died. I should have driven six inches left or six inches right. And I said, of course, it was not your fault. 
Nine years go by, and we're still getting those. I had four of the young men that served with my son to call me Pops. Time does not mitigate, nor does it change, the nature of the loss that has kept our country free. Well, you know, one thing that we've been able to uncover, we've talked about this, is the attention to detail of many of these veterans who served. And, you know, it's understandable, you know, the guilt that someone would feel to witness that. You know, I'm an Army veteran myself, and I can't even imagine losing some of my battle buddies, you know, what effect that would have on me. But, you know, and when you say just a father, you know, the reality is, is Josh wasn't just a soldier. He was a special soldier. And obviously these guys, battle buddies of his that called you years later, felt not only guilt, but they had great admiration and camaraderie with your son. So he's not just a gold star, not just another number of the 6,800 uh, young men and uh, women who've lost their lives in con- conflict fighting for that freedom. But let's talk a little bit about Josh. Hmm. You know, was he a tiger? I mean, he ended up being a United States Army Ranger. You know, tell us about your son. I started a high school in 1994 in Denver, Colorado, so Josh could graduate from high school. He was flunking out of high school. He was not going to graduate. So I start, my solution was I started a high school. Had three other partners, and we that school today still exists. It graduates 100 kids a year, owns its own building, is in its 20th year as a charter school in Denver Public Schools. It's one of those few things, a legacy that I had a small part to play in. I did it not only to get him through high school and learn something, but to have, in those days, a diploma because the Army, the military, would not accept a GED. So if he was ever going to have an option, which was not in his game book at that time, to join the Army, I wanted to make sure he at least had that door possible. So I graduated high school. He was When was in, he born? When was Josh born? June 20th, seventy-seven. Um, was that your your oldest son? My your, oldest, your first child. My oldest son. Yeah, I have a 34 year old son, and I have an eight year old, which is a, a rascal, I will say. I um, like to say I've raised three only children, and it's yeah. about the way it is from the difference. But no, Josh was. Was Josh, he? Uh, what was he doing? I mean, you said he wasn't going to. What was he doing? Just he played, being, ha- he played hacky, sma- hacky sack, and smoke pot. Yeah, and. I know a lot of guys like but that. But he was he was a sharp kid, he was a good looking kid. And he started to work. He was a hard worker. He didn't he was not afraid of breaking a sweat. He got some good jobs. And he had some struggles with jobs, but it became apparent to him that the crowd with whom he ran were not going anywhere he could go. He was not gonna go. One of his best buddies had a dad who had lots of money, and a real estate business. And Josh didn't have that. He wasn't going to do what I did. And his other best buddy was really one of these one in, one in a hundred smart kids who got a full scholarship to Colorado School of Mines and was going to be an engineer. Josh couldn't do that either. But both of those young men had negotiable virtues. That's a polite way to say they didn't like following the rules and doing things. That was a problem for Josh. And it came to him that he was going to need to do something different, and he said, I'm going to join the Army. I said, awesome. 
And I literally flew from California to Colorado to stand beside him when he raised his right hand and took the oath to swear in. And there was something way off kilter when we were doing that. And the off kilter part was he had, in fact, thought he could have one last shot at the bong. Right. And the Army pissed tested him. And they said, nope, you have one chance left six months from now. This is your only chance. You either take it or not. And he went, oh, my gosh. And he realized he had to get out of Denver. He had to go somewhere. And he said, do you think Grams would let me come, my mom and dad? So he left Colorado. He went to Texas, got a job on a golf course, and spent six months with my mom and dad, the best six months they ever had. They loved him. And he got ready. And I'll tell you what was so cool about the what I know he got ready His first award, John, was something near and dear to your own life. He was given an Audie Murphy Award. wasn't tied to sergeants. When you got in the process, it was tied to sergeants. But in his his basic training, 400 soldiers were asked, who would you most willingly follow in the battle? And they said, Josh. The first thing he did as an Army private was be recognized by his soldiers that they'd follow him. That's fantastic. You know, and for those of you who don't know Sergeant Audie Murphy, you know, uh, Army Sergeant, uh, most decorated soldier in World War II. His story in uh, fighting the Germans is just a phenomenal story. But that being said, you know, for Josh to be recognized by his peers and myself as an Army, uh, I was an NCO, um, and I know about Audie Murphy. Uh, I got my award when I was in E5. So for somebody to be recognized at that stage of the game, it's pretty significant. And so uh, you, those, you're, you're, you're cream of the crop at that stage of the game when you're being recognized like that. So that's pretty impressive, actually. And Well, and his humility showed that what thrilled him the most about that was he got to have a hamburger and a beer. <laughs> which is big stuff yeah, to a guy in training. Stu- you know. That's right. So so he gets so he gets the award. He gets out. He graduates. And I have the the iron mic. Good, good for you. Um, congratulations. And you know, so he's in eleven Bravo. He goes infantry school. Went, uh, he went straight to airborne. Okay, but he but he right out of basic training. Out of basic training, he went to airborne. And I think they do it actually at Fort Bragg, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So. Was it Fort Bragg? Where Fort, he went to Benning for... Benning for infantry school. And right to Bragg for jump school. Right. And that's what he wanted more than anything. He started jumping out of perfectly good airplanes. Well, yeah. What uh, what uh, what changes did you see in Josh? Josh? Josh was the most eloquent of writers. You wouldn't see it if you just talked to him. He was a goomba. We used to tease him mercilessly. He loved World Wrestling Federation. He thought, I mean, he was a wrestler. He just thought all that stuff was that action on TV. He just thought that. He loved to go fish. He was outdoorsy and all of that. But his letters are eloquent. They are passionate. They are revealing of who he was. There was a side to Josh that they were that the Army touched that was about leadership and that's what started to come through his first assignment after jump school was that he was a saws gunner and he was in charge of the saws gun 
And for those that don't know, it takes three in a saws team. One guy has the gun, one guy has the bullets, and another guy has a quarter of a million dollars worth of equipment that sees through anything. And he was in charge of that and spent two years as a saws gunner before he went originally to Korea. And That's second infantry division? Yeah. And he spent a year in North Korea, <laughs> which is really interesting. I said, what you're duty do and he goes well what he could say essentially was they were crawling around at night in the dmz and wherever they needed to go to look for tunnel doors and they put a laser on them satellite sees them every tunnel the north koreans have ever built has a laser tag on it that our satellites know where it is interesting he spent a year crawling around at night in the dmz and he said one time they found a door and they opened it up and there was a, an entire room that would hold 600 soldiers, fully equipped, fully staffed, had never been in. It was spooky. Yeah. Those are strange things. Most definitely. So then, so he served a tour in um, Korea, Peninsula. Yeah. Then he comes back to the States and... He's not an Army Ranger yet, but ha does the Ranger school come before he's deployed, or does yeah, he deploy before, and then? No, he he said he wanted to go to Ranger school, and they accepted him. So he started the Ranger school, and it's three cycles. Um, most gruesome training that the Army does for anyone. Nearly didn't make it. He literally, for the last day, crawled from a hospital bed. The skin was coming off of his feet. He had had, because of being in the swamp and all, he had lost the, the cohesion of his feet, and he couldn't stand. But he could crawl to the deal where he could stand long enough to do the last day. I mean, he literally crawled from the hospital to make sure he could get his ranger tab to uh, do yeah. the last training. And my dad... Had been assigned. My dad flew gliders in World War II, 82nd, and he was he pinned my son's Ranger tab on him when he graduated from Ranger School. Wow, you know, not to plug Peranto's book, but the Ranger Way. Oh yeah, is a is an excellent read for those of you who want to know what Josh and his buddies went through. It's it's it is grueling training. Um, well, the largest again, supply of anti snake venom in North America is at the 6th Ranger Training Battalion in England Air Force Base in Florida. That should tell you something. Yeah. So phenomenal. So you know he's fast tracking. He's yeah. um well, he's gone from this high school kid with you know with not a lot going for him, you know, by that standard into the United States Army, turns him around. He starts to serve his country, very prideful and and then Army Ranger School. Uh Graduates Ranger School. Basically has turned himself around, and yeah. my gosh, he's on his way up that ladder well, uh, and militarily. This is what's so amazing to me. They asked him to stay and be a Ranger instructor. They didn't want him to leave. So he spent the next two and a half years as a Ranger instructor straight from getting his Ranger tab. Wow. So how did that – did that have an effect on him? I mean, I know that you've told me stories where he was really just anxious to go because well, he, things had started over over in the Middle East. and Well, they had been going on. He was yeah. he was training re, um, recruits for ranger school. He was ta teaching rain, soldiers how to be rangers who had been deployed two and three times. He said, how do I know I'm what I'm teaching works? I've not been there. And it drove him nuts. But they 
he could have stayed. They wanted him. What he did as an instructor was above and beyond. And he was good at it, but he had had enough of not being deployed. So he started searching who was going to come up in the cycle. And at the end of 04, beginning of 05, he found that the 1-9 out of Fort Carson was going to be spooled up. And he wrote a transfer and gave it to his commander. And they said, okay, Sergeant Hager, you can go. So he transferred to Fort Carson, joined the 1-9. And the rest, as they say, took place. What was what was that unit there at Fort Carson? Was that 4th Infantry Division? Or? No, he was the 1-9. Second, uh, second brigade, second infantry, um, Manchu infantry. So he deployed in two thousand and five. No, he actually two thousand six. Okay, he got sent over in November to Kuwait, and first of December they moved him into FOB Corregidor in Ramadi. The most dangerous part of the Iraq conflict was where he was when he hit the ground. Did he write a lot of letters home? I have half a dozen. Um, and they're, like I said, they're, they're, they're eloquent, but it was when they got there, constant fire, constant sniper, constant mortar to go to the latrine, you had to put on full body armor. It was not only unsettling, it was dangerous, but his duty was as scout platoon, platoon sergeant, 1300 soldiers, Marines and regular army and Iraqis. And he was the security detail for the colonel who went out to scout before any operation would gone. He was in upwards of, he was 70 plus combat missions in 90 days before he was killed. So was, he's in a, so he's in a hotbed in Ramadi. I mean, in the insurgency, bed. the foreign fighters are coming in. They're just, they're getting hit all the time. And uh, how long had Josh been there before he went out on that? the fateful mission if you will how long was he there he hit he was there december january and was we lost him february 22nd well you know if you feel comfortable can you describe do you know the details that surrounded that mission yeah they went out three humvees midnight um the first humvee had sergeant moore and i know most of the guys that were on that one josh was in the second humvee riding shotgun, Robert Eckert was driving, and behind them was Colonel Ferry, Lieutenant Colonel. They were scouting for the next day's operations. That's what they did. They went out before the platoons that would go out and do the actual mission. They were the scout guys. So they were had been out for about two hours and were returning, and they could see the lights of Corregidor when the improvised device blew up and Josh was the lost an arm and a leg. We were told one, one, the soldier said that he was killed instantly. Somebody else suggested that they did record a single radio call from him that said, don't send anybody. Do not come this way. Private Eckert, um, tells me he was in the driver's seat. He was blown out of the Humvee. And when he came to, he ended up two years at Bethesda um, from severe trauma, brain trauma. But he was sitting in the in the sand, and his weapon was broken in half. He didn't have a helmet on. 
He did not know where he was. He couldn't hear particularly, but he kind of looking around in the dazed state, as you can imagine, and somewhere behind him he could hear voices, and the Humvee was sitting on its side. So he backed up to that Humvee. He pulled out his knife and a grenade, and he says, I'm not going to let these people take me. I'll go down first this way. And this young man, 19 years old, is sitting there holding a grenade, ready to take his own life before he was going to allow himself to be captured. Thank you. There wasn't anyone to come like that. So they got him evac'd out. The worst part of the story is the base did see the explosion. And three more Humvees took off to land aid. And the second one of those also hit a device. And two other soldiers lost their lives. Corporal Buford and Travis, and the medic um, that was kind to come to lend aid for Josh. Oh, tragic. Extremely tragic. You know, and we've talked to several people that have come back to the States and uh, talked to one recently who was wounded, made a full recovery, uh, Josh Mintz, Mintz, and he described uh, the hospital and most of these individuals, soldiers, Horrific burns, missing arms and limbs, you know, have a lifetime ahead of them of, of um, extreme challenge. And, you know, it's co- it was commonplace. You know, the IED, the improvised explosive devices, uh, devastating to our forces on the ground. Um, well, they, the command um, lieutenant, command captain, I should say, told me after, after a few weeks that we got the chance to talk, the Iranians had targeted him. There was a, a bounty put on Colonel Ferry's head and on Josh's because of what they had done that became a central part of became the surge. What Josh and his those guys did at Corregidor changed the nature of the war in Iraq. And there's a wonderful piece called Ramadi in Real Time. And in your listeners, we can, you can Google it. Just go Ramadi in Real Time. And you get a long story and detailed of how, in fact, Ramadi was returned to essential normalcy. By 2011, I mean, 2007, Josh is there, most dangerous place in Iraq. 2011, you could walk the streets without worry, and commerce was going. It was 2013, with the failure of the status of forces agreements from the previous administration, that it started to fall apart. So what our guys did worked. So, you know, contrary to some of the stories that are circulating out there, the surge did work. The surge did work. But let me... I just, you know, I... No, let me... let me. This is the part that has been become so vital to me. This is the part that I want people to understand. I always knew Josh was willing to die for his country. But it took two years of grief and grieving before I became aware... The, the most important part was he willing, was willing to live for his country as an Army Ranger. He did 19-hour days when he was off duty because that's what it took to stay at a, at, a, at a level of excellence that he thinks a Ranger needed to maintain. He worked hard. We got, John, I got 200 messages from CrossFit people from all over the world who had seen his CrossFit routine, how he kept himself equipped physically to do the job of a ranger. He was willing to live for his country as an Army ranger. 
that's a standard that we have lost in so many parts that it's worth being prepared. He didn't want to die for his country, but he was willing to be prepared for whatever it took, and everybody in his platoon came back. Right. And, you know, the, the warrior class, the warrior breed that we read about, you know, Army Ranger training is not easy. And uh, when you read about it and you meet some of these individual soldiers in person, you get it. You know, they are truly the cream of the crop, ahead uh, of the rest, if you will. How are you, how are you notified? Tell us about that, the death of your son. My wife and I have done a radio show. We called it Five Minutes at a Time. It was one of the first experiences of having to live five minutes at a time. Back in those days, 2007, I thought I had some success a little bit. It was a little bit weird, but I had a truck. I had an SRT-10. It's a Dodge pickup truck with a Viper engine in it, 500 horses, 160-mile-an-hour pickup truck. I'm stopped at a traffic light. My cell phone rings. I look down. It's my daughter-in-law. I said, hi, how are you? And she says, we've lost him. I can't talk now. I said, okay. So I'm sitting at a traffic light in a 160-mile-an-hour truck, five miles from home, trying to decide whether or not I can shift gears and safely get home without killing somebody. Because I knew if I parked and called my wife, she wouldn't be able to drive. So how do I do? And the answer, honestly, in that moment of clarity was, I can go to the next stoplight. And at five minutes at a time, I drove a 160-mile-an-hour vehicle, the speed limit, 45 miles an hour down University in Sarasota, for those that know where it is, and drove home, got to the front door, opened it, and collapsed as I walked in. Wendy looked from the top of the stairs and says, Hi, hon, what, what's wrong? And she knew instantly. And we spent the next 30 minutes in that strange place of shock, grief, and absolute pride because I knew Josh had been doing what he wanted to do, what he loved. So I was devastated, and I couldn't have been more proud as a father all at the same instant. We've talked, I've talked often there's a coin of life, and on one side is joy, and the other side is sorrow. And the sorrow is only as size that the joy can be. Josh brought me so much joy, and that's what made the sorrow that much larger. It's pretty poignant, Chris. Um, I, I called I... a friend of mine that night. I called a friend because I couldn't move. But I said, Robert, he says, yeah, what can I do for you? I said, we lost him. He goes, oh, my God, what can I do to help? I said, I really need a drink. Could you give me a bottle of scotch and bring it over? He said, I'll be there in 30. <laughs> I mean, it's that kind of, I didn't have to explain anything. He said, I'll be there in 30. And he was. He said, God bless you. Anything I can do. What was that date? What was the date? February 23rd was our date here. He was killed February 22nd, but because of time zones, it was the day before. Right, 2007. February. So it's been over two years. Ten years. Ten years. Ten years. And you've uh, had quite a journey since then, uh, dealing with the um, the powers that be, you know, and how people are notified and what happens for services uh, to Gold Star families. Um 
And I know you're on the move. I know you're doing a lot of very important things. But, you know, briefly, tell us about what you've encountered as far as, you know, from notification through the process of uh, trying to figure out what exactly happened and what benefits, if there are any, uh, you're entitled to and what well, the, the, basically the, what how you were treated. The, we were, I've never been mistreated particularly. What is interesting, in April after he was killed, there was a, a protest going on in Sarasota. And Wendy and I were driving by in a car, and I said, you think I could stop and ask him a question? And she says, well, don't hit anybody. And I said, okay. So I get out, so there's 20 or 30 people you know, chanting, bush-lied people died, blah, 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 all this stuff that protesters do. And I simply walked up and said, excuse me, does anyone know anyone who's served? And their only response was the F word. No I guess did. you got your answer, got didn't you? Got my answer, yeah. turned around and walked home, walked away. I have, hmm. what I've recognized is this, John, when I have allowed myself to be recognized as a gold star parent, people who have no other contact in their normal life hear me or meet me are thankful because they want the connection. Most people know that freedom is not free, that there's somebody out there that's willing to be the tip of the spear, but they don't know how to make that contact. The average person doesn't know what to say to somebody who's lost anyone recently, let alone a child. So the more, the more available I make myself, I think the more benefit it is to me. But more than that, it's also a benefit to the population at large. So I'm not a wallflower to speak of. Now I don't. You've never seen me jump up and down and 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 say poor me or any of that. But I'm accessible. I'm available to tell the story because our country needs to know what those brave men. I'm just a dad. Josh was the hero. I don't. I and, Which, and, and that's that's the story. We have heroes like Josh. Let's honor and remember them and never forget. That's a great point. You know, never forget, and you know, which takes me back to what I spoke about at the outset about you know being next to a gold star father at a function somewhere, usually a veteran function, and um, and them getting high fives and congratulations all around. Let's have a round, you know, and and. You know, so it's very, very, very obvious to me that so many people are totally, you know, clueless. And, you know, we talk about being a wallflower. I'm, I'm, you know me, I'm not a wallflower. No. So it's obvious that we can improve. Um, but we've come a long way. I'm sure we have. But, you know, what do you, what do you, what, what's the message? I mean, you know, I know that, and I know this from research, there's really, I don't think that there's any kind of gold star. There's gold star organizations out there that do a lot of phenomenal work. Uh, and they continue to do that. And they continue to build bridges and educate. But is there is there anything at the federal level that could improve the program? I'm reluctant to answer the question. And, I, and you know me. We need help. We need, we need a different structure. But at this moment, we ha- we are on the edge, I believe, of combat that's going to require the sacrifice of more lives. I don't want the focus to be that survivor outreach services is, is bad. No, it's not bad. It could be improved. 
but we're going to lose soldiers. We've had some incredible success. This isn't, this isn't political. North Korea, we don't know where that's going to go. But the world is a dangerous place. I want the focus to simply be this, that whatever the tip of the spear needs, our country comes together and provides that. And I believe we can get there if we, if we present it in the right way. Freedom is not free. You know that at your core. I see it every time we're together. I know it. Our Gold Star group doesn't want anything other than to not have new members. I don't want somebody else to die. But my son put himself in this place for four reasons. He loved his family. He loved his country. He loved his freedom. He loved his God. He wasn't there because he hated anybody. That's the message. Our military is there. Our work is there because of whom we love. Six days before he was killed, Josh called me on the phone and said, Hi, Dad, just called to tell you I love you. That's the memory I want everybody to hold on to. Our soldiers love us. Hmm. So you have a population out there that's totally clueless. If you could, that message you just said is very impactful, <laughs> very heartfelt. I know you too. If you could say something or send a message to those folks, you know, what would you say? And the second part is what would you want well, let me, let other me, gold let me stars answer, to Let me know? answer it this way. Be alert, awake, and aware. I have a license plate that has a gold star on it. In 10 years, no one has ever asked me what the license plate means, except two other gold star parents. Didn't know they could get a license plate like that. So awareness. be aware. Yeah, just look. Try to figure it out. If you see the lapel pin, know what it means. It's, it's simple. It's just a gold star. I know one thing that I've heard from people that are gold star mothers and fathers one thing that I have heard, though, is that uh, there seems to be, um, I don't know if it's miscommunication or what, but there seems to be some type of um, disconnect. What would you do to change that? And then I know that we've... We, there, there's Friends have um, are working to do education. The biggest disconnect I see is that we need to have a national organization of education. Memorial Day is not Veterans Day. Biggest issue that Gold Star family members I, that I've had over the years is I'd go to a Memorial Day service and it was all about veterans. It isn't. Memorial Day is those who did not come home. Veterans Day is, the, is for those who did. The other is that the Army, our, our, our services don't even prepare new recruits to understand what a Gold Star means. They want to, and I don't, and, and I understand that it may be as simple as they don't want to talk about the fact that somebody's going to get killed to people that are going to get killed I, or something, you know. It is education and awareness. I spoke at a high school in Massachusetts last spring. These kids looked like they were typical mind numbed robots sitting there while I was talking until we were done. And every one of them came up, shook my hand, and said, Thank you so much. I'm so glad to know what it means. We can reach people. We simply have to be a voice to do it. That's why I appreciate this time on the radio. Well, 
Thank you for your time, Chris. It's been a quite an honor for me to be your co-host on Straight Out of Combat Radio. I want to thank you for Josh. Um, and I want to thank all those other 6,800 families for their uh, sons and daughters. Uh, I know that words can never repay the loss of a son or a daughter, but I, you know, heartfelt thank you. Um, you know, sometimes I'm not speechless too often, but I am right now. But I, I just appreciate um, parents like you that obviously somewhere along the way instilled qualities in a young human being to want to excel and be the best they can be. But more importantly, that understand that uh, the United States of America uh, was created on a firm foundation with these freedoms that many people take for granted. And obviously your son did not take them for granted. No, he didn't. Thank you for your time. God bless.